0: If you have your copy of the Word of God, I want to invite you to open up to the Gospel of John, chapter 21. Today is our uh, our last Sunday in the Gospel of John. We have been walking through the Gospel of John for over a year now, and so we'll complete it today. Um, But let us uh, let us pause and pray before we read the text. Let's pray. Father, it is just wonderful to be able to gather and to open your word and to read it, to hear it preached, to study it, to have literally a copy of your word to us in our hands. And so, Lord, let us not take that for granted this morning. But as we come before you, we ask, Heavenly Father, that you would open our eyes to see the truth of your word in our minds, to comprehend the truth of your word. And God, we pray that you would place within our hearts a conviction to love the truth of your word. And so as we hear it and as we read it, may you impress upon us your desire in our lives. God, may our lives be willing vessels ready to be poured out and to serve you in any way that you call us to. And I pray this morning, Lord, that you would guard my lips from error. And I pray, Father, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> the title of the message this morning is, What Now? It's a fitting question as we uh, round out the end of John's gospel, seeing the circumstances and the situations that the, uh, situation that the disciples find themselves in. Uh, And we'll hear more about that in a moment. But the question is, what now? And so if you found your place in chapter 21, beginning in verse 1, let it be known by saying amen. And you follow along as I read. After these things, Jesus manifested himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Galilee. I'm sorry, at the Sea of Tiberias. And he manifested himself in this way. Simon Peter and Thomas called Didymus and Nathanael and Cana of Canaan and Galilee and the sons of Zebedee and two others of his disciples were together. And Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we will also come with you. They went out and got into the boat and that night they caught nothing. But when the day was now breaking, Jesus stood on the beach. Yet the disciples had not; the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And so Jesus said to them, "Children, you do not have any fish, do you?" And they answered him, "No." And he said to them, "Cast the net on the right-hand side of the boat and you'll find a catch." So they cast, and then they were not able to haul it in because of the great number of fish. Therefore, the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, "It is the Lord." So when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work, and he threw himself into the sea. But the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from the land, but about 100 yards away, dragging the net full of fish. So when they, got out of, when they got out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire already laid and fish placed on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, "'Bring some of the fish which you have now caught.' So Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land full of the large fish, 153. And although there were so many, the net was not torn." Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples ventured to question him. Who are you? Knowing that it was the Lord, Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and the fish likewise. This is now the third time Jesus was manifested to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, "Shepherd my sheep. And he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Tend my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were younger, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you where you do not wish to go. Now, he said this signifying by what kind of death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, Follow me. Peter, turning around, he saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. The one who had also leaned back on his bosom at the supper and said, Lord, who's the one who betrays you? So Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? Follow me. Therefore the saying went out among the brethren that the disciple would not die, yet Jesus did not say to him that he would not die, but only if if I want him to remain until I come. What is that to you? This is the disciple who is testifying to these things and wrote these things. And we know that his testimony is true. There are also many other things which Jesus did, which if they were written in detail, I suppose that even the world itself would not contain the books that would be written may the lord bless the reading of his word as we consider this text this morning and mr al spoke a moment ago that the theme of the the service and really the theme i think of this text that we see is god's god's mission through the church in in one sense we could say that god's mission in the world is the church but in another sense, when we refer to God's mission through the church, we're, we're actually speaking about God's work through the church in the midst of the world that we live in. And so I, I want us to see in this text this morning, the mission of the church is the, is, is the gathering of fish and nurturing of sheep and then following Jesus. Jesus. You see, the church must embrace God's mission of evangelism and spiritual growth and spiritual giftedness, both as a corporate and as an individual responsibility. And I think God desires that we as a church would would see this and would, uh, would, would, would embrace His mission. My hope this morning is that each of us will be moved to action in God's mission as we answer the question personally, what now? In 2005... I was walking through my last semester of seminary, scheduled to graduate in December. And all of a sudden, Hurricane Katrina came through, right? August 29, 2005. And as Hurricane Katrina came through, our, our lives were uprooted. Even before that, we weren't certain about where God would plan us. We weren't certain about the transition that was coming upon us. And so we, uh, we're, we're, we're wanting to know where God was going to lead us. And then all of a sudden, we thought we had a semester to figure that out. And all of a sudden, Katrina came through and pushes us out of the city. And we ended up landing in central Louisiana where uh, Tara's grandmother had a rental property, just a place for us to live for a time. And as we were there and just kind of trying to settle in there, though nothing was really settled, everything was unfinished, right? We had lost everything in Katrina. Our apartment was underwater. Everything we had was underwater. And so everything was just kind of up in the air. Things were unsettled. Things were unfinished. Our lives were in the midst of transition. And I remember asking the question, a similar question. I remember asking the question once we had kind of settled in partially what now what's the next step what now what are we supposed to do our lives being in the midst of the transition i wasn't clear how god was leading us and so so what we began to do is we began to just do what we thought was most honoring to god in the place where we were we got involved in a local church began ministering among the saints there in central louisiana I finished seminary, I, I got a job until I finished seminary the, next, the following semester. And in the midst of all of this and plugging into a local church, I ended up getting called to that church to be pastor for a period of time. And it was amazing to see how God worked in the midst of the transition. But in that transition, we, we just simply did what we thought was honoring to God and we walked as we understood God was leading us and, and directing us. And so in in a similar way, I think we find the disciples asking a a similar question in the midst of their transition. What what now? The first scene we see in the text, verses one through 14, we see them. They've gone fishing. That's the first scene. They they're there in verses one through three. The disciples are in Galilee. You know, there are several theories as to why we find the disciples at this point in Galilee. But the disciples have returned to Galilee. And Peter says, we're going fishing or I'm going fishing. And as I I thought about why were they in Galilee, I, I began reading and doing some research. And there were really three theories as to why the disciples were in Galilee at this point. Uh, the first one suggests that they were simply obeying Jesus' commands. As it's given in Matthew chapter 28, verses 7 and 10, and Mark chapter 16, verses 6 through 8, Jesus has commanded the disciples to be in Galilee. But as, as I read through Matthew and Mark's account in the storyline, it doesn't exactly seem to fit what John is saying in his gospel. After Christ's resurrection, in the Gospel of John, chapter, chapter 20, we find that eight days after his resurrection, the disciples were still in Jerusalem, and Jesus appeared to them there in a room. So secondly, some suggest that they went to Galilee to escape the scrutiny of criticism from the, the angry mob that would have been after them. And I think we can understand this perspective. We find the disciples in John, chapter 20, verse 19, locked, locked in a room. And Jesus appears to them twice in John chapter 20, verses 19 and following. He appeared to them twice. Others suggest they were discouraged and they they returned to Galilee to take up the previous occupation that they had before because they were uncertain about what else to do. They hadn't yet received the promised Holy Spirit and they were uncertain about the next step. They had to make a living. They had to eat. We also know from verses 15 through 17 that there was some unfinished business between Peter and the Lord, right? Peter had not yet been healed. He had not been restored by Christ and reconciled to Christ. And so there's, there's a certain amount of plausibility, I think, to each of these suggestions. But w- whatever the case, I think it kind of helps to formulate some of the, the background as to what was going on and why the disciples were there in Galilee and certainly why Peter would say... I'm going fishing. So the seven of them were together. And it seems at least they're asking this question implicitly. What now? What now? And so in verses 1, 2, 3, I think we see that, well, one, a a man has to eat. The other disciples, when Jesus said, I'm going fishing, they said, well, we'll come with you. So they fished all night. And what would they catch? Nothing. They didn't catch anything. I wonder what they talked about in the boat that night. My speculation would be they would recount the crucifixion maybe, or maybe Peter was still discouraged and down on himself for denying Christ three times and really struggling through that. And perhaps those seven brothers or six brothers who were with him were, were encouraging him. Maybe they, maybe they talked about the resurrection and, yeah, we, we've seen our Lord, but, but what is it that we're supposed to do now? There would have been a lot of time throughout the night not catching any fish just to wonder, just to talk. You know, there's a term that fishermen use when they don't catch any fish. Skunked, right? They got skunked. That's what fishermen say. I remember one particular fishing trip. I went on with a friend of mine, and um, we were going to a secret hole that he had. It's called Old River. Now, not the one in New Roads. This is one in central Louisiana, part of the Red River system. And so we were going to fish there, and... Uh, it was such a small place to get into that we had to just put a little two-man boat in, his, in the back of his truck. And we got there, we kind of backed down in the spot, we grabbed it out of the truck, we slid it into the water. And he said, now, we don't have room for your tackle box. I said, now, hold on, that wasn't part of the deal in coming here. And he said, oh, I've got plenty of tackle, you don't, we don't need your tackle box. And so we get in the boat, and so I, I obliged my friend, even though I didn't want to, it was, I was reluctant. We got in the boat, we shoved off, we start fishing. And we get to one particular area or one particular hole. We hadn't been catching many fish up till now. And, uh, in fact, the only ones we had were the ones that he had put in the boat. And I kind of reached for my tackle box to put a different lure on, but I I didn't have it with me. And so... um, we start, we're, we're fishing, and, and all of a sudden he starts pulling in some fish. And so he casts in a spot, he reels a fish in. I, I cast back in the same spot. I don't get a thing. I don't even get a bite, not a nibble. And so then he casts right back out, and he catches another fish. And so that process repeated itself a couple of times. And I said, man, this, this isn't right. I need, I need a different bait. And so uh, I said, give me one exactly like you have. Oh, well, I, I don't have another one like this one, which I was confident I had another one like that one in my tackle box. So I said, "Okay." I just thought to myself, "It won't really matter." Give me, give me, give me one that's similar. So he did, and he'd cast out, he'd reel efficient. I'd cast out, I couldn't catch a thing. And um, about that time, my frustration started growing a little bit. And so he, he said, uh, "Well, it's it's probably the way you're casting." And so he started telling me how I needed to cast, her how I needed to work. You know, there's only one way that you can work a crankbait for a fisherman, if you know. And so he's trying to tell me and give me all this endless advice. And finally, I had enough of it. And I said, all right, man, uh, why don't, if you're so confident, let's switch poles. So we switched poles. I was pretty confident in my theory. And so I said, now, where was it I'm supposed to cast? And so he, you know, he cast out there ahead of me, and he didn't pull one in, so I cast right behind him. Well, I hooked on to a fish And uh, the the competition was on at that point. I wasn't getting skunked anymore. Before long, he was ready to move to a different location because he had quit catching fish, and I was the one catching them all. You know, it's no fun, right, when you get skunked. It it stinks. Hence the reason they call it getting skunked. You know, the disciples hadn't caught fish all night. And as I I processed what what happened here and and what was going on, I, I think perhaps I've... I've been too harsh on Peter in the past. They, they had moved from the, from the gloom of Good Friday to the joy of Resurrection Sunday, and they had seen and believed that Jesus was alive. But what were they to do? What was Jesus doing in, in all of this? They knew something great. He was doing something great. But, but until they knew, I think their position was a difficult one. One of the questions I was kind of asking is, has Peter done the sensible thing? Is he wrong? Perhaps there's a a greater challenge in our lives to simply be about engaging in our daily work within the mindset of of allowing God or or watching for God to meet us and, and lead us in the work that he has called us to do. Well, they caught fish that they didn't catch any fish that night. And in verse four, we see the miraculous catch happens. They're ready to call it a night or call it a day rather and they're ready to pack it all up and come in. And in verse 4, when the dawn was breaking, it says, John, John's giving us a clue here, I think, to see Jesus' continued ministry. There's a new day dawning. He says when, when or, or just as the day was breaking, Jesus said to them, children, you didn't catch anything, did you? The wording he uses here for the breaking of dawn or the new day, it's the word that we get birth from. And so he tells him, cast your net on the right-hand side of the boat and you'll, you'll find a catch. And I think the familiar, familiarity of the scene probably triggered something for John. Maybe back to like Luke chapter 5, whenever, whenever Jesus called the disciples to begin following him, when they had cast their nets, they'd set out and cast their nets. And Jesus had initially called the disciples to follow him. And he, they had caught a, a net full of fish so much, in fact, that it began breaking the net. And in the midst of this text, in verses 4 through 6, um, he, he, said to them, he said to them, cast your net on the right-hand side of the boat, and they, they did, and they caught the fish. I, I think John's telling us that a new day has dawned, and a new time has been born. He shows us Jesus is able to do something that the fishermen couldn't do. With all their knowledge and with all their skill, they had worked all night but caught nothing. Yet Jesus, with one word, he is, he's transformed the results of their entire expedition. They've gone from fruitlessness now to the, the miraculous catch. You see, John intends for us to see that in the dawning of this new day, Jesus will continue his ministry through his disciples to produce eternal fruit. And so they arrive on the shore, Peter had bailed out of the boat and began swimming to the shore, but the other disciples arrive on the shore, and as they do, they see that there's a charcoal fire there, verses 8 and 9, and Jesus has a fish laid on it, and he's got some bread there. And in verse 10, he says, Bring some of the fish that you've caught. Here's what I think we need to see. Jesus doesn't just miraculously provide the fish on the fire for them to eat. Instead, Jesus takes the disciples and he makes them part of the miraculous work of his plan. Jesus calls the disciples to obey him, as he says, cast on the right-hand side of the boat, and then they experience the joy of his provision and sustenance. And I think this is the same for the church today, for disciples of Christ today. He calls us to be part of his plan, working and engaging in the world so he says to them in verses 12 through 14, come and come and dine. They knew it was the Lord. Verse 12, Jesus said to them, come have breakfast. None of the disciples ventured to question him. Who are you? Knowing that it was the Lord, they dared not ask him, who are you? What's interesting here is, although the disciples were in his presence, their sight seemed to fail them. Their sight wasn't the indicator for for identifying Jesus. Instead, sitting to dine with Jesus, was it was no longer about sight. It was an act of faith. The sign of the miraculous catch is a metaphor that the disciples' work is fishing and catching people for the kingdom of God. You see, God's mission through the church then involves the work of fishing and catching people for God's kingdom. The gospel is the message that the church proclaims to gather people into his eternal kingdom. And obedience to Christ is the means through which this occurs. The question I would ask us to consider this morning is, are we faithfully casting the net of the gospel? Are we placing ourselves in positions of obedience one of the ways we can do this, I, I think, is just looking for ways around us that we can engage and be missional and walking with Christ. I, I sent out an email this week hoping to to spur us on in that direction and encourage us. Ten simple ways to be missional. Eating with others or working in public places or serving neighbors or... Prayer walking throughout the neighborhood. How are the ways that we as the church are to be missional, engaging the world, casting the net of the gospel? I pray that when we ask this question, what now we can, we can discern that answer. The second scene we see growing pains, growing pains from infancy to maturity in verses fifteen through seventeen. You know, John's the only gospel that includes this account. Of Peter's interaction with uh, with Jesus. And I think he does it because we need to see that Peter needed healing and he needed restoration. He had done the unthinkable and denied Christ three times. And so in verses 15 through 17, Jesus asked him three different times, Simon, son of John, do you love me? The first time he asked him, he says, do you love me more than these I think he did this because Peter had always been the first to, to really boast and advance his own cause. He was the first one to step forward and declare his love for Jesus. Like in John thirteen thirty seven. Jesus is saying, I'm going to a place and you can't come where I am. And Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you? I'll lay down my life for you. Insinuating that these others may not, but I, I will or in John eighteen 10, they're in the garden, and Jesus is about to be arrested, and Peter draws out a sword and strikes the high priest's servant's ear. Malchus cuts his ear off. And so Jesus begins asking John, uh, Peter these questions, and I think with each question Jesus asks Peter, he sinks just a little bit lower and a little bit lower into despair until ultimately he says, yes, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. see, it was necessary for Peter to be asked the hard questions. He was asked the hard questions in the same manner in which he denied Christ. But for Peter, it was redemptive. This was the goal here, Christ in redeeming and reconciling Peter to himself. He was going through healing and restoration, and it was painful for Peter. I think that's instructive for us, is growing, it's Going through healing and restoration the, these are painful times these can be pain growing in Christ is not always painful, but there are times when it is when we recognize our own sin and we're faced with that, and we have to confront that and confess that before the Lord and turn from our ways but I, I want you to notice that it's jesus' uh, it's his his responses to Peter each time that are really instructive for us in verse fifteen he says to Peter, tend my lambs now the word tend it, it means to feed, and the word lamb it's used for an infantile or a very young lamb. In verse sixteen he responds and he says, "Shepherd, my sheep, and the idea of shepherd is to nurture and to take care of my sheep, and the word for sheep is a more mature animal. Those of the flock who need your care and guidance shepherd them, take care of them, nurture them. And then in verse 17, he kind of combines the two thoughts. And he says, tend my sheep. In other words, saying to Peter, Peter, feed my flock. Grow them from infancy into maturity. Jesus highlights the priority of Peter's work. Peter's work was to be a pastoral work. From infancy into maturity, he was to nurture and care for, feed Christ's sheep. And he is to do this by teaching and preaching God's Word. You see, God intends for His children to grow from infancy to maturity through His Word. That's why the Word of God is so important in our lives, Christian. That's why it's important for us to to study God's Word, to read God's Word, to sit under the preaching and the teaching of God's Word, to be faithful in, in hearing what God wants to say, not just to read it as we read a newspaper, but to read it and to think upon it and to ask God, what are you teaching me and saying to me in my life through this text I remember when I was a child having intense pain at night I would uh, I would wake up from the pain in in the uh, in my legs and the bones throbbing after being examined by the doctor the doctor said that there was nothing to worry about nothing was wrong he just said you're experiencing growing pains many young people go through growing pains and he says you're just experiencing growing pains You know, in this life, from infancy to maturity, we we do, we experience growing pains physically. But I think the same can be said for our spiritual growth. And look at this. Notice this. For Peter, the pain of his sin and the denial of Christ had to be dealt with. It was necessary for him to grow. And Jesus knows that this has taught Peter a great deal about humility and about loving him. And in the... Years to come, Peter would draw on every ounce of what he had learned through his denial of Christ so that he might feed Christ's sheep so they too would love Jesus. So we see this on display in God's mission through the church. People are to mature from lambs in Christ to sheep. Just as Peter's love for Christ display is displayed as he feeds Christ's sheep, we too must see that mature, uh, mature sheep must employ their gifts in serving the body of Christ. You see, God's mission through the church is, is not only catching fish and nurturing sheep. It's being engaged in one another's lives. And this happens when the church holds God's word up as central to life. It happens when the church exercises its gifts through, through living in community with one another and displaying the gospel in, in each other's lives. When we walk through the pain of spiritual growth, we as the body of Christ ought to be there for one another to bring healing and restoration. We are, we are there to be reconciled to one another. Now, if the first two scenes of the text kind of speak to the church corporately, I think the last scene focuses on our individual responsibilities as part of the church. In scene three, we see Jesus saying to the disciples, specifically to Peter, follow me. Verses 18 through 25, we we see this as disciples of Christ We're called to follow him. That's Jesus' message to Peter in verses 18 and 19. Jesus tells Peter the way that he's going to die. You're going to die in following me to your death. And Peter says, well, what about this man, Jesus? What about John is the one he's speaking about in verse 21? Jesus says, don't worry about him. You follow me. If I want him to remain until I come, what's that to you? In other words, my plan for him, Peter, isn't the same as my plan for you. You be faithful in following me and leave the rest up to me. I want to quickly say this doesn't negate the need for accountability in the the Christian's life. Instead, I think what it does is it helps us to focus on our individual responsibility before God. We are responsible to follow Christ in the manner to which he has called us and and gifted us. And we must employ our gifts for the kingdom of God, for the life of the world. Verse 23 clarifies it. Therefore, this saying went out among the brethren that the disciple, this disciple would not die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he would not die, but only if I want him to remain until I come. What is that to you? In other words, Peter, focus on following me. Focus on doing what you know that I've called you to do. Focus on your role in building up the kingdom and and the church. I think it's instructive for us as we look back over the first century of the early church to see what tradition tells us about the disciples. Many of the disciples' lives ended in martyrdom. You know, but each of them played a significant role in living out and furthering the gospel. James, the brother of John, was the first of twelve to be martyred. Upon being led to his execution, his extraordinary courage impressed one of his captors, tradition says, to such a degree that he fell on his knees before the apostle and asked forgiveness, confessing that he too was a Christian. And at that moment, they were both beheaded. Matthew. He brought the gospel to Ethiopia. And then he was pinned to the ground and tradition says he was beheaded. Matthias, he was stoned at Jerusalem and beheaded. Andrew preached the gospel throughout many Asiatic nations. And then he was crucified on an X-shaped cross. Bartholomew preached the gospel in several countries. He translated the gospel of Matthew into the language of East Indian before his pagan enemies cruelly beat him and crucified him. Thomas preached the gospel in Persia, Parthia, and in India, where he was run through with spears and then thrown into the flames of an oven. Peter, crucified. Crucified on a cross upside down because he didn't consider himself worthy to be crucified in the same position as his Lord. John. John founded the seven churches of Revelation. He wrote the gospel for us and gave us this tremendous eyewitness account. Tradition says he was cast into a large vessel filled with boiling oil that didn't harm him. He was banished to the Isle of Patmos where he wrote the book of Revelation. Then he returned to Ephesus where he died about A.D. 98. He was the only apostle to escape a violent death, tradition says. The reason I share this with you is we see Christ speaking to Peter saying you're going to follow me to your death and to John he says don't worry about John if I want him to remain until I come he will you see each of these men being led by the Holy Spirit followed Jesus until he called them out of this world and I think Jesus expects nothing less of us whether we're like the 11 apostles who suffered death through persecution or whether we're like John who dies in an old age, let it be said of us that we faithfully followed Christ until he calls us out of this world into our eternal heavenly home. You see, God's mission through the church is gathering fish, it's nurturing sheep and it's following Jesus. Maybe this morning you're asking a similar question like Peter was asking, what What now? And you need to focus on casting the net of the gospel faithfully daily in your life. Or focus on feeding on God's word and growing from infancy to maturity, believer. Or maybe it's following Christ and employing your gifts for the good of the body and the the life of the world. My hope and desire this morning is that Each of us will be moved in action in God's mission as we answer this question. What now? What is what is Christ desiring to do in and through your life? How does he want to use you to impact the world that he's placed you in, the friends that he's given you, the acquaintances, the the workplace that he's placed you in? How does he want to use your vocation to glorify him? I pray that the Lord will answer that in our own hearts and minds, and through his word this morning, would you bow with me as we close in prayer? Father, we ask that you would lead us, direct us, teach us, Father, how we are to faithfully follow you, walking with you. Help us, Lord, to be faithful in the things that that we know you've called us to do. Maybe we're asking the same question, Peter, what now? And so I pray, Father, that you would help us to see the the next step in our own lives and and how we are to go about serving your kingdom and, and, and living for your glory. So strengthen us, Lord, even now as we worship you and as we praise you. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.